Hey, do you like what we do, but want to hear it in Boston? Well, the fucking Avengers, the thing with fucking Chris Evans, you know he went to school around here and shit, right? He fucking grew up around here. Dude, that fucking house in fucking Knives Out Kid that he was in, that's in fucking Weston, Massachusetts. I drove by it. My uncle, my uncle, okay, he's a fucking contractor, all right? He drives a truck. It's got ladders and shit on it, right? He has fucking pictures of Chris Evans working on that fucking movie and that that asshole Rian Johnson that made that fucking stupid Star Wars movie I hated so much. That guy right yeah he was fucking there too and oh a fucking james bond kid oh shit i fucking saw james bond and shit i had to send a picture of that to my fucking aunt she was like oh my god bring him over here i'm gonna fuck him so fucking hard and i was like auntie we're on a fucking group chat with ma i don't fucking care ma can come over here and fucking fuck him too for all i care and then we went on and on and on and everybody was fucking and now i know too much about my family kid then you should check out this week's sponsor the Chipman Brothers Tangent, talking about literally anything, be it nerd news or the lasting trauma of Catholic school. Chris and Bob Chipman have you covered. Listen to the Chipman Brothers Tangent on your favorite podcasting site today. Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ork, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? It is It is going ups and downs, goods and bads. I went out to get some chicken, but they didn't have my zesty chicken, so I grabbed the chicken that from the deli that looked like it might be good, but it turned out to be ranch buffalo, and I guess I fucking hate ranch buffalo, so I'm a little down about that. But I did spend some time with a friend of mine that... I don't normally spend time with who's also going to be a guest that we'll introduce here in a moment so you know ups and downs goods and bads how about you uh i'm totally off tangent trying to figure out what ranch buffalo would even taste like not good like it's hot but it's not and i don't know okay yeah how are you doing i i'm very tired and very angry what are you angry about i've spent the last three days being stonewalled by the company that handles my claim for my back injury oh that's super lame yeah this is what happens when you these go to the lowest bidder anyways capitalism usa go all the way uh i feel like we're pretty safe to say that geeks with shields is a pro-union podcast so are extremely pro-union yep anyway before we get into anything else i believe we have a sound off that is your privilege to do Yes, our wonderful, wonderful patrons, the people that support this podcast and keep it free to all of you. They are Pam Gelly, Marky, Chris Chipman, River Gelly, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brendan Eddy, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donna Lucy, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mel, Scott Rubin, Derek Kay, and Peter Cook. Now, if you'd like to join the illustration, just head on to patreon.com forward slash geese with shields. All sorts of extra episodes and bonus content is over there, as well as this episode a week early for and, five cents an episode. And as I alluded to earlier, we have a guest today because the illustrious wretched, normally I let you introduce yourself, but they all know who you are. They've probably seen your name and thing, or if they're just listening, then they get to hear your dulcet tones in a moment. But wretched was just chatting with me. We were just hanging out, and I was like, hey, you want to join us for these conversations? And he was like, all right. Isn't that right, Wretched? It's been, a, it's been a while. It's nice to talk to you guys again. Yeah, Wretched Giraffe, for anyone who doesn't actually know. So, 
probably see me in the Discord server every once in a while. Yeah, if you're one of the cool people, you know him from our Discord. He's also... You have the... Mm, I don't know what the right word is. Let's say the uh, the honor of you are our very first Warhammer-related guest. So, Yeah. Back before Geeks of Grimdark was even a thing. And I like to bring it up because it's funny for me. Or it's fun for me to bring up. So. <laughs> back, when, back when we were all young and beautiful. I wasn't even into the hobby back then. That Speak was... for yourself, I still am beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I was uh... young because, well, the numbers don't bear out. But Yeah, back then was you two actually teaching me about Warhammer. By the way, Wretched, we just had someone, I think, a few days ago when we recorded, who used the E-word, but they actually, like, write guides for the faction they were talking about, so we were like, we'll let it go. <laughs> yeah, well, you can let it slide, but, uh, yeah, don't, uh, the, I think the problem with the E-word is I didn't call myself an expert, you called me an expert. Oh, I'm aware, which is why <laughs> I, this is my penance to bring it up, so... <laughs> Anyway, Ulrich, what are we going to chat about for the next hour-ish? Well, ironically, we're bringing something we first introduced over in Geeks of Grimdark, our roundtable episodes, over here to the main podcast. If you don't know what our roundtable episodes are, go listen to them. We have two great ones for Geeks of Grimdark, one discussing the ethicality of space marines, the other discussing the ever-popular topic of female space marines. The idea of this roundtable is we pick a topic, idea, common to geekdom, and we talk about it, discuss it, you know, share various views. This time we're talking about our obsession with canon, and is it hurting or helping the mediums in general? If for some unknowable reason you don't know what we mean, we're not talking about the large firearm that shoots balls of metal at people Canon is a term used in literature specifically, but entertainment in general, to describe things about a property or franchise that are actually official. They It is a separation of things that are made that are part of the actual property itself, whether it's the book or supplementary material by the author, things like that, versus... Things made by fans or other entities that use the same material, take place in the same world, but are not actually, quote-unquote, real in the context of the original uh, piece or the connected works of the original piece. Does that make sense? Call it canon. Call it continuity. We are obsessed with it. It makes our stories richer. It lends depth to our stories. Well, continuity is a little different. It's connected, but... I'm speaking in the general with the broadness of it all. But I would argue it has kind of become a bit of a lead weight around the neck of storytelling. Yeah, so I, I would also say that with... As a sidebar, continuity is basically just as a franchise or a thing exists for a longer and has more things going into it that it has self-consistency internally. It's really all continuity is, but when it references its self-consistency is usually what we think about when we use the word continuity. Anyways, semantical terms that aren't really relevant to this conversation. I think they're extremely relevant because it determines what we're going to talk about, so... Anyways, I've kind of laid where I think it is. I want to hear from you to your thoughts on the importance of the Holy Order of Canon. I mean, I'm, I think that it can help you kind of create stories but i don't think that you should hold so hard onto it that it like starts ruining other people's times right yeah 
I mean, we've frequently been an advocate with 40K of make your own canon, like take the parts that make sense and ignore the parts that don't. I would argue, I don't know how to say this rock properly. Do you know really the first wide scale fictional thing that this was a real question of? Can't say that I do. I have a bunch rushing to my head, but I can't think. I don't think any of those are the progenitor. Well, we could. While someone out there could easily argue it's religious texts, and I'll get back to why that's actually an interesting conversation in a second. I like that. That works. Yeah, there, there's a whole conversation about that that I want to touch on in a second. But no, if we're talking about it in the same context I think you're talking about it, it's Sherlock Holmes. Okay, because... it was Sherlock Holmes I was thinking. Like, Sherlock Holmes feels like the answer, but Sherlock Holmes is... it has to happen before this. Yeah, I'm not saying Sherlock Holmes is the first, like, book that had a huge fan base or anything like that. But to my understanding, and someone who's more of a literary historian could always, always correct me if we had any literary historian listeners, but... Sherlock Holmes was basically the first franchise of many books that then directly resulted in a mass of of writings and stories made by not the original author, in this case, Sir Conan Doyle. What we would call fan fiction basically was invented by Sherlock Holmes fans. Yeah, I remember this now. Yeah, and so... Again, because my understanding of what Sherlock Holmes is is less than I think it should be, because how important a character is. There is a lot of things about those fan fictions, aspects of those fan fictions, that made their way into what we now consider the greater "quote unquote" canon of Sherlock Holmes. Hell, there, because you could argue from a very strong point of view that canon starts becoming a real weird question once the original author's no longer in the picture. But if you think about Sherlock Holmes, the Deerstalker hat wasn't even a thing until, like, the 1930s or something, when they started doing black-and-white serials of him, if I remember correctly. So you Yeah, there's argue... lots of little details about him that are later editions that we've now all kind of just grafted onto the character. Yeah. So at the same time, then, what becomes the... At least for the first question, as far as canon's concerned, what becomes the use of canon? Well, separating things like what are the official Sir Conan O'Doyle materials is really easy. It gets more questionable when you've got a franchise that's not owned by a single person, like a conglomerate or something. Any Disney property is going to fall under this kind of question, where when you can do something over many decades that don't even have the original people involved, does does canon become something that even matters? And once you have something go into public domain, it doesn't at all. There's no such thing outside of once something is in public domain. And Sherlock Holmes, I think, is public domain at this point. Yes. So, like, they're really... about to be. No, he's 100% public domain because they've been making Sherlock Holmes spinoff series forever. Exactly. I, well, I just I wasn't sure if there was a Sir Conan Doyle estate because it can get like that, like with the Tolkien estate and stuff. But anyway, so. In that case, there really is no such thing as a overall canon for Sherlock Holmes, but you can have sub-canons. Like, the show Sherlock has a canon. There are fan fictions that are not part of the Sherlock canon. Same thing for Elementary, same thing for the Rodana Jr. movies, even though they all have different canons. And being able to separate what is quote-unquote official from what is not official can be useful for mostly for figuring out what you like about something or how something works or what we're even talking about. So. Yeah, like what affects the story that you are reading? 
Yeah. Now, continuity in this particular question becomes a whole more difficult thing because once you have... So continuity as an idea, to my understanding, really only came into existence with comics. Like, continuity may have existed in literary circles before comics were a thing, but there wasn't anything that was, like, so long-form story as... Hell, I guess also daytime soap operas would fit into this, but I don't know... Yeah. I don't know how they really work. Uh, I just know that guy... You could probably also use like early tabletop games, right? Like probably, but like so you had, you had to have this like ongoing narrative. Essentially, had canon and continuity kind of folded into it, because the idea is this is an evolving, ongoing story. Boy, don't you? F and the idea is, if you want to know all of the story, you need to go back and buy all of our previous works, so you're up to date with whatever it is this new story is which is why to my understanding when continuity is used to its best bet way i'm not going to say correctly because that's a difficult word but when that, it's, that's also a hard thing to defend there <laughs> yeah but when it's used i think in its most effective way it's not anything that gatekeeps people who don't know the continuity from enjoying the material but it rewards people who do know the material yes and I would argue that is the kind of tipping point, is when it's fun for the story, it works, and it works great. When it starts actively hampering how the story gets told or how people, you know, receive the new information in the story, it kind of goes, okay, you're getting problems here. I, I, like, I, could, I could also argue that it, it's a difficult thing to balance, because on one hand, I don't think you should build a story with future continuity in mind. I think that leads to, uh, well, essentially what has been up to date the DC Extended Universe in movie form. Yeah. Which is bad for a lot oh. of reasons. But oh <laughs> at the same time, if you don't have it, any consideration for it, then you end up with a, what is in the comics, Kang the Conqueror. Because if you don't... Oh, oh yeah. I was going to say, Kang the Conqueror represents both sides of this, you know, divide, I'd yeah. argue. Exactly, because here, here's the thing. Kang, so far, as someone who's seen Loki and Quantumania, is being done very well in the MCU. In the comics, Kang is... a hot fucking mess. Because he was invented originally basically as a way to retroactively plug in plot holes that had been created by them not having any sort of consideration for future continuity. I'm not even sure if that happened as much as it was... Uh, Stanley said, I like this character. Here's a bunch of characters we aren't going to use again. What if we tied them all together to sell these comics? Yeah. So, it, so I like the best way to approach it, I think, to approach continuity anyway, is not to be trying to build a future continuity, but trying to leave yourself open to future continuity, if that makes any sense. And just ditch the shit that doesn't make sense. Because here's the problem I could see. Like, if you treat Kang, comic Kang, or even Let's, let's comic Kang, because MCU Kang, we don't really... We're getting a whole new start with him. But if we treat comic Kang as every single time he has appeared is part of his canon and cannot be changed or altered, you end up with a muddled, confusing, stupid mess. Which is why I think DC very quickly moved to the crisis to reset, because that shit's just a fucking lodestone on your storytelling. If you keep going back, like, well, in this issue, Superman did this, this, and this. But in the very next issue, by the way, delete that shit. it is also possible, 
And I only say possible because I can only think of one good example for this. Uh, maybe two. I can think of two. Okay. But twice is a coincidence, three times is a pattern. It is possible to lean into that. And if you lean into that hot mess, you can actually create almost like an inverse situation where the total lack of continuity and canon is part of the appeal. And the two examples I can think of that are easy are Doctor Who and The Simpsons. Yep. I was going to reference both those because those are both great examples of, yes, we have this big, long backlog. Yes, it's all true. We don't care. We're either, you can obsess over that as much as you want. Yeah. And and that's funny because Doctor Who literally addresses it in one of their most famous episodes. We're like, yeah, time is wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. So if you enjoy it, go for it. But don't stress it. <laughs> I once peered into the maelstrom to try and sort the Doctor Who timeline. Never again. Anyway, I, I feel like I've talked a lot in the last 10 minutes, so uh, uh, Wretched, what are your thoughts so far? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm pretty much with you with a lot of stuff. I, I would even argue then you could look at like Deadpool doing a lot yep. of that, where he's breaking a lot of fourth wall, and then that just, is just now an accepted thing that happens, which then makes it so that at any point they can get away with whatever they want to do. Yeah, no, the problem I see, at least now, is... We as nerds, geeks, whatever your preferred terminology for yourself is, love this shit. We love studying. We love memorizing. We love knowing these facts. Plus and it feels the, rewarding. There, There's a yes. reason why that meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood exists of, of Leo DiCaprio pointing at the TV. Because the feeling that that picture encapsulates is extremely satisfying. It's almost narcotic of the like, oh, I know what that is. Oh, I know what that is. It creates a sense of... All that time I spent learning these fake histories means something. The fun part of uh, Captain America, right? I understood that reference. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But, as we've seen with so many things from the geeky sphere of things, it kind of started getting twisted and becoming a very bad, ugly thing. Which is funny because, as a quick sidebar, because Quantumania is very recent... I feel like, and we don't know quite enough yet because Kang's only shown up in two things so far, but it feels like they're leaning Kang in the Doctor Who direction, where they're like, look, Kang's crazy, timeline's crazy, multiverse is crazy, don't think about it too much, here he is. And I think that's probably the right way to go with it, but I do foresee that pissing off a good chunk of Marvel fans. <laughs> yeah, and we'll circle back to that, but I kind of want to put the two big... Groups, demographics, there we go. Not like groups that are most guilty of this, and one is the progenitor, I think. And that is Star Wars and Warhammer. Okay, so <laughs> Star Wars canon is a really weird question because literally there were, what, about three or four decades of quote-unquote Star Wars canon that got yep. erased? Yep. All of the legends that they just took away, Yeah, no matter how cool some of them were. Uh, Kyle Katarn. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and it it does create... Yeah, Star Wars fans are always iffy for uh, a number of conversations, but what is in the Star Wars canon is always a very spiky question. It has been... I feel like it's less spiky now that Disney is seemingly really keeping a tight grip. I'd on argue it, it's but... only gotten worse. Really? Yes. I 100% think it's gotten worse. Elaborate. Well, the thing was, when George Lucas wrote Star Wars, it really was, he didn't think about 
why there was a Wolfman in Moss Eisley. There was just a Wolfman in Moss Eisley. <laughs> yeah. Didn't fucking care. Didn't care how any of it worked because that wasn't the point. And then, you know, what? it's like, you know what? People want to pay me to, and they can, you know, write books about this shit. Great. And they created this whole big, long, elaborate, in-depth canon where everything was explained. So then Lucas got around doing the prequels and realized that now this whole world had to exist. And it had to, you know, make sense with these, you know. You know, it's really funny about, sorry to interrupt you, but I just recently rewatched, uh, so Movie Bob, Bob Chipman, did a video years ago about Kang the Conqueror. I shouldn't say years, a while ago about Kang the Conqueror, explaining who Kang the Conqueror is. And in it, he he talked about two ideas that he has. I don't know if he came up with them. I just, I learned them from him. They're called Handwavium and Explanium. Handwavium is when essentially you have a character just hand wave away what something is or why something is. So like the whole idea of like, oh, it's magic. That's that's mm-hmm. classic hand wavium. It's sorcery. I don't have to explain shit. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Explanium is the opposite, where you go to great depths to come up with some technical specific explanation for something that usually is too much, which is a lot of what Kang apparently does in the comics. But yep. But it's funny because Star Wars is an example of that first movie is chock full of hand wavium. One of the most basic examples is the the Kessel Run. Oh, the Millennium Falcon did the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. And anyone who basically might have questioned what that means, well, the movie doesn't care. The movie just hand waved it away. It's a cool and feat. And neither should you. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool, some cool sci-fi feat that the Millennium Falcon did. Then Solo, like, there are things about Solo I like. One thing I don't like is that it feels almost like a giant excuse for explanium of the Kessel Run. Because nerds wrote what the Kessel Run was, and they wrote the significance of the Kessel Run. And they built all this stuff into it that they decided this was the way it was. This is the actual history, and altering from this will ruin it. Well, Anyways, back to my big long... Oh, wait, wrap your rant, then I'll go back to I was going to say, I mean, also the fact that the the fans for about 40 years couldn't get over the... Uh, but parsecs are distance, not time. How does that make? And so they finally had to be like, "All right, here's a fucking reason. Stop saying that now." Well, that's a totally separate thing. Yeah, like stop. There are literally people that are throwing people around with like mind powers. Why do you care? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so I'm, I'm an engineer. And- I don't need to have an explanation for why a lightsaber doesn't immediately fry everyone in the room, even though physically that's what would happen. <laughs> or like. <laughs> The the greatest joke. What if you drop it? Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> just nerds wanting to be smarter than the media they consume, which is dumb and needs to stop. Anyway, go on, Oric. Anyways, so now we get to the prequels, and we've got all this in great... Well, this is what this means, and this is where this comes from, and this is how this is connected to this. And Lucas goes, oh, shit. I have to explain all this dumb shit because this is what they really want? Oh, hell, okay. better example. Sorry. The Force in the original trilogy, Handwavium. The prequels, yes. Midichlorians, Explanium. Easiest way to explain the concept. There you go. I'm not going to touch it. But anyways, you get all this stuff, and then it continues afterwards. I am a huge fan of the animated series, The Clone Wars. Do you know one of the mandates that Lucas brought into that show? General Grievous and Anakin could never meet because they didn't meet until Revenge of the Sith. So the writers had to bend over backwards to find reasons why the two main characters of this show could never interact. 
because we decided we had to stick to this pre-established stuff because that was what made this story important. And I will say, this continues on into the future of Kenobi. What was everyone's big complaint in the first weeks of Kenobi? I don't understand how Obi-Wan Kenobi doesn't recognize Leia and Leia doesn't recognize Obi-Wan Kenobi years later when they meet. Because in in A New Hope, it doesn't fucking matter. Do you see what you have done to yourselves by deciding this fictional history is must be kept to, cannot be veered away from? What's funny for me is I'm, I'm currently replaying through Dragon Age, and I'm in Dragon Age Origins right now, but one thing I was thinking of literally like yesterday about this conversation before we had it is that in Dragon Age 2, for anyone who hasn't played it, it's fucking amazing, the Dragon Age series in general, but in Dragon Age 2, the whole game is a story being told by one character to another after the events of the game you play. And at one point in production, they actually had a an idea where at the end of the game, the character who's telling the story would leave the room, meet up with your player character, and your player character would be like, did you tell them everything? And they'd be like, well, except the parts about us. Which is a funny little bit, but illustrates this basic idea of when you've got a story that's already framed, especially as a story, you can especially do things that don't make sense because it's a story being told by someone who can embellish it. Star Wars literally begins every movie with a crawl that's basically telling us that this is a saga, a story about something that happened a long time ago. Sometimes details might get flubbed. Sometimes things might get exaggerated or told differently because this is literally a story being told to you. And that's okay. <laughs> so yep. funny thing about that Dragon Age bit. That was put in by the developers because they were driving themselves crazy trying to figure out how to tie everything from that first game into that second game, even though they had created the first game to have branching paths and narratives. And they said, why don't we just have it be an unreliable narrator and then it doesn't matter? Yeah, which I think is a really good narrative tool. Yeah, no, this is what I mean. Like, I love canon. I love lore. I love all this stuff. But when we let it get to the point that it's affecting and we're using it as, well, this show is bad because in these movies or, you know, previously this was established and now they're doing this. And well, it just took me right out of the, the show. Here's I will say, though, while I agree with you, an exception is single piece continuity, as yes. in being consistent within itself is not the same thing as franchise continuity. Yeah, that's the other side of the coin. Because, like, I recently was talking with someone about The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is a bad movie. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons why it's a... One of the things that pissed me off is that at the end of the movie, there is a sequence where someone says something to someone. Green, All right, fuck it. Green Goblin says to Spider-Man, Oh, so when... when you told me that Spider-Man said no, what you meant was you said no, because he's like... Realized that Spider-Man Peter Parker the same thing. Except that line makes no fucking sense because there was no point in the story at all up to that point where Peter Parker told Harry Osborne that Spider-Man said no. It shows that there was a scene that was cut and that they didn't fix the thing happening later. This is not a question of continuity. That's a question of consistency. It's a different thing. And that's a perfectly valid reason to be pissed off at something. <laughs> so. well, yeah, and that's also... The straw that broke the camel's back scenario. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I just had to make sure we had that line of delimination there. 
Tell us how you really feel about Spider-Man 2, though. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> we covered that in our fifth anniversary episode, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like I said, I get why we like this stuff. It's important. But it's starting to bleed into our media in that you can tell when they're writing these shows that are continuations of this stuff. Like, okay, well, I have to consult all of this stuff and make sure all of this stuff finds through. Otherwise, angry fans will yell at me online and people will say they hate the show. And it's why. Why are you letting this? This is this is breaking the central tenet. It is ruining your enjoyment over something very tiny and trivial. I want to take a moment to bring up a serious conversation in regards to this. Not serious, but a more prickly one which I, I alluded to earlier, and that I've talked with a few people about, which is the question of canon when it comes to things like religious texts. Here's why I think it's interesting. And I'm going to use the uh, Christianity, Western society version of Christianity, as the example because it's easily understood by a lot of, at least our audience. I apologize if you're listening to this in another country because we have other country listeners and you don't know what I'm talking about. But... I feel Christianity is pervasive and invasive enough that everyone knows it. Fair. Point is that if you... I took a philosophy class where we studied a lot of, like... You know, a lot of old philosophers were preachers and priests and who were... I mean, philosophy basically is born out of conversations about, like, how do you prove whether or not there's a god and stuff. But there are a lot of things that I understand are part of religious dogma and, quote-unquote, canon that are essentially fan fiction. And the yes. best ex example of that that I can think of is Paradise Lost. The entire <laughs> concept of Lucifer being the fallen angel and, like, the snake and the tempted Eve and whatnot. Like, yes, some parts of that are in the, you know, one of the 26 different versions of the Bible that actually were written. But a lot of what the average person thinks of when they think of that version of the devil, fallen Lucifer, comes from Paradise Lost, which was not a religious text, to my understanding. It was essentially just a fiction story that someone who was into the idea wrote. See also Dante's Inferno for the concept of hell. Yeah, but now those things, for a lot of people, not everybody, I have a fundamentalist at work who, who has this thought of, like, these are not part of his canon, essentially. But for a lot of people, those are part of their religious makeup. And as a pagan, where my beliefs actually come from oral tradition stories, like modifying your beliefs based on just time and stories is a natural part of it. So I'm okay with like other people having different interpretations of what my belief is. So it feels like just a normal part of what that is. And if we can, I, I was about to say, if we can accept that in something as serious as religion, then why can't we accept it in fiction? But then I immediately thought, well, there's actually probably been a lot of wars fought over yeah, things like this. Say, so. have, you, have you heard of this little thing called the Crusades? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is literally I mean, fanboys fighting over what is canon. <laughs> oh, no, let's not even go more basic. Let's talk the basic Reformation. And, you know, all right. Does this become the flesh of Christ? Is that a metaphor or is it text? It's text, goddammit. No, it's metaphor, you blaspheme. Yeah, the basic difference between Protestants and Catholics basically comes down to a question about what is canon in Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that is this obsession with canon taken to the utmost extreme. And I'm not sure we've reached a conclusion other than 
stop fucking obsessing over the accuracy of fictional settings. Yeah. I mean, Unless I don't even know. It is a massive, <laughs> I mean, fucking massive rewrite. Like, all of a sudden, Luke Skywalker steps out and goes, okay, gotta correct some things. First, Darth Vader was not my father. He was actually my third uncle twice removed. My brother is Chewbacca, and I don't have a lightsaber. I have a saber axe. <laughs> then you can go bug nuts, because that's like, that doesn't make any damn sense. And oh, it makes saber all this other stuff cool, unwatchable. But... <laughs> the saber axe is cool, but you get my point. Uh, Wretched, what are your thoughts right now? I mean, I'm kind of with uh, Ulrich on that. I I think that uh, there are there is too much trying to to interpret, but it becomes a. I don't think that your interpretation for the canon should like ever try to steal someone else's away, because I don't think that there's any possible way that you could like push your portion onto someone, especially if it's been uh, pre digested by them. If that makes sense. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I I do have an ex, an exploration question to continue with that. I, I was having a conversation with my girlfriend uh, last week. She was creating a collage of like comic book covers for, for for a project she was doing, and one of the comics she was using was a comic of Harley Quinn and Power Girl, which is a pretty fun comic. But I don't care for it because of one panel that makes me kind of mad there is a sequence in it where someone makes a comment about or harley quinn's talking with some grunt guy who makes a comment about power girl's boob window which is an issue for a lot of other reasons but at the very minimum there is a narrative explanation for the boob window because it's this blank space where superman's s goes it's justification for fan service yes but it's still something oh no so no i know that one and i hate it yeah, my, my point is, at least it's something, though, and I use that as a comparison because in that sequence, Harley gets, like, I don't know, upset's not the right word, but then she goes, you know, you'll have no time to think about that when you're thinking about my resplendent rear, and she pulls up her cape and she has a butt window, and that just drives me crazy, because, like... Well, shading your bad excuse. Not just not just that, but it it, to me, does not fall under... And this is why it belongs in this conversation. The continuity or canon of Harley Quinn's character. And now, oh, yeah. Now, this gets very difficult because you have multiple writers. So what constitutes the canon of a character? And I started saying that I don't like it because it feels like a writer is being disrespectful to a character that normally wouldn't do something like that. And then she started clapping back at me like, why wouldn't she do something like that? Harley Quinn's like a kind of a crazy wild person and like... If she wants to do something like that, why couldn't she? And I, and we turned this like almost this argument thing, where I was trying to say like, well, yes, it's okay for a character to make changes in what they do or how they behave, but in in the real world, it's fine. Someone could change themselves, whatever, and I will not judge them. Wear whatever the fuck you want, but in a fictional character, especially one with a lot of attention on them, if they make a big change or do a kind of action that is quote unquote out of character and there's not a narrative justification for it of some sort, it feels I don't know, dissonant is the, the See, word. Now we've stumbled onto character continuity. Exactly. That's why I'm like it's a related concept, but it's a lot harder, I oh, think. It, to... Oh, it's in there. And I think this interestingly shows up in kind of the corner Batman has painted himself into. Mm-hmm. 
in that our number one criticism of Batman is the increasingly ridiculous situations that Batman gets out of by virtue of being Batman. <laughs> uh-huh. And you go back in the comics, that wasn't the case. But the character's whole... The character continuity has kind of become the trajectory of, well, this is what Batman is, and gets locked into that. And Harley Quinn is it's her own fascinating journey. Yeah, I was just, it, it was a good example of, like, I have this idea in my head of what the, the, the canon of Harley Quinn's character is. And I'm not saying that in this particular example, right, that she isn't sexual as like part of her character at times she showed up wearing like a it's skin type depiction it's how yeah. it's being used exactly and... it's, it's why she's doing something it's also the level of of it it felt very it didn't feel in line with something she would do as much as it felt like something that some horny writer wanted to do and it's really hard to put into words how to detect that feeling the so. best example I can go to, and like the infamous one, is the Secret Empire Hydra Cap reveal. Yes, I use that as a good example too. Because for anyone who doesn't know, there is a famous sequence in a comic from a uh, at this point like eight years ago or something like that. Where... Yeah, that's more recent than that. It was 2016, 2017. Okay, that's like six years. I was not too far off. But point is, Cap said, Hail Hydra. And they actually kind of made fun of it in uh, Endgame by having Cap do it yeah. fakely. But in the comic, originally, it was played straight. And Cap was a secret member of Hydra, whole big story. And people hated it because, yes, you can change characters, but there are certain things that when you change... It felt like a radical depart from what Captain America was as a character. And also, it was horrible choice to make one of the most visually recognizable characters that, you know, represents the American zeitgeist and act and a Nazi in a time when America was electing Nazis. Yeah, exactly. And so th- this also comes into the, because there is such thing as character canon and character continuity, there are, there are certain, we talked about this with Superman a bit, how you can change things about a character, but there are usually certain core fundamental things that you can't change without really making them a different character. And sometimes you can do that to serve a purpose. A good example, you mentioned Batman earlier. Well, one of the reasons why Batman is in the weird situation he's in is because Frank Miller made one of the like most successful Batman comics ever of The Dark Knight Returns. But The Dark Knight Returns was never meant to be in Batman's canon, quote-unquote. Yeah, no, it, it, it was took in... the Elseworld as a setting to try fun new characters and then made that the new Batman canon that everyone kept drawing back from, and it only solidified that. Exactly. So it actually, even though it was made on purpose to be its own canon, a separate canon, as it were, so many people were so into that as the idea of Batman that it bled back into the version of Batman that it was originally meant to be a, like, a deconstruction of. Like, that version of Batman was supposed to be literally Batman having forgotten everything he is as batman but then those characters traits made their way into batman's more standard continuity and that's how we get batman v superman but anyway <laughs> that's the only point. but no that i'm trying to think of other examples because we've talked about the negative side of canon of bending over backwards and just making bad stories to keep to the canon well it, 
when it comes to I'm... when it comes to character canon, it works when you have a when you have a writer who knowing the character's canon gives them a base a better understanding of the fundamentalness of the character. I would argue that the writers behind Superman and Lois, for instance, uh, know certain important aspects of the Superman canon. You can tell they read Superman for all seasons, for instance. Yeah. And using those very specific imageries and references shows that they know it, or at least that they someone on the team knows it. And that, I think, is good evidence for why they seemingly get the character of Superman so right when we've recently seen him be so wrong and other things. So. Yeah, another example that just came to mind for character canon in a good version is Deadpool, in that the Deadpool that we have in the comics now is nothing like the Deadpool that was originally introduced. True. And that's a great example of looking at the character going, okay, this isn't really interesting. I'm going to steadily, I'm going to branch off of that. It uses the original character's conception but it does it in a new way that increasingly gets further and further out and still calls back to it. So it feels like, okay, I can see the through line of this. Also, without... side note, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, Wretched hasn't spoken in a while. These guys are being rude. He had to go deal with someone knocking at his door. So peek yeah. behind the curtain. Anyway, continue over. <laughs> I was planning on putting in a note at some, like in the beginning, explaining Wretched's absence. But <laughs> he's not with us right now. But comics are a great example. Because I'm, I'm a Deadpool, I'm a dead, I'm a Moon Knight fan. This is well known. Moon Knight has dozens of half-finished runs from creators with widely different, you know, ideas of how the character should be portrayed. And it's funny, I'm seeing pushback on the Moon Knight. People going, "Well, that wasn't my Moon Knight. That isn't Moon Knight linked in the comics." I'm like, "Which comic? Pick one, because he." changes so much throughout the comics there's not like a one consistent this is how moon knight is outside of multiple personalities being jewish having a cool costume and Shu is his god that he serves i've actually thought of a very good comparison of a good and bad for this so we've talked about batman a couple times one of the most well-known and somewhat contentious aspects of Batman is that he's one of the superheroes who does not kill. I'd argue oh, that there's yeah. really three primary heroes who should not kill ever, and that's Batman, Superman, and Spider-Man. But we're just going to focus on, on Batman for a second here. Second example of, a, of a, a piece of media that accepts that aspect of character continuity in canon and one that does not. If we look at one that does not, we have, well... Tim Burton's Batman, as well as the Batman v Superman Batman, where, you know, he's using a machine gun to mow down people. Compare that to Under the Red Hood's Batman, where that aspect of his canon literally becomes the moral framework for his conflict with the Red Hood, creating one of the most emotive and best Batman scenes ever in, in the quote-unquote Batman canon, where... Red Hood confronts him about not killing the Joker, and Batman has to be like, well, if I kill him, I'm going to kill fucking everyone, So, because I'm not sane. Yeah, and I think that's a good example of there's a core character canon, but they step outside it, because let's talk about the big one that is, you know, where I think the, the, the pinnacle of where this obsession with keeping true to the canon most manifests, at least for us in our everyday. Okay. And I say us, as in you and I. And that's Although the female I think, space marine issue. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Warhammer. It, are you back, Wretched? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. I, All right. No worries. So the, the, door. The, audience, <laughs> the audience is aware that you had to step away. It's okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, as long as they're aware. <laughs> it was right. their fault. They were knocking. Warhammer. If you're listening to this, you probably know quite a bit about Warhammer, because if you're one of our regular listeners, we talk about Warhammer a lot. If for some reason this is like the first time you're listening to us, and you don't know what Warhammer is, I can't help you. Go find another yeah. primer. Warhammer is a crazy sci-fi uh, intellectual property with a lot of corners. But the reason I'm I'm introducing us this way is, one of the things that got me into the lore, there's a guy on YouTube called Luton. Luton09. He's known as the like the Warhammer 40k lore master. He puts out these like one and a half, two hour videos where he finds something in Warhammer lore and just talks about it. So if there's anyone, at least in the general fan space, who can be considered like the definitive voice on what Warhammer canon might be, a lot of people might use Luton as their anchor. I'm not putting that on him. I'm just saying he's commonly used that way. And even well, he... you, you've made a great example. Every Warhammer, like, well, not every. A lot of Warhammer fans go, well, my preferred content creator said this, and therefore that is the truth of the setting. Yeah, and even Luton himself has said he does, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing here, so you know, don't don't get at me for like butchering his words. But he said something along the lines of that there is no such thing as 40k canon; that it just doesn't exist. Well, the official stance from Games Workshop for the longest time, unless they've amended this, everything is canon, but that doesn't mean every it actually happened. And because Warhammer has the warp and chaos and crazy time shenanigans and the galaxy is so big and disjointed that many sections of it never become aware of other sections of it. You could have stories happen that have nothing to do with each other and seemingly have no internal consistency with each other, but that's fine. Let's go a later. Let's go a later. There are authors writing books that don't talk to each other about the same characters. Wretched. What are you saying? Oh, I was going to say, especially when it comes to things like power scale. <laughs> oh, it's a fucking nightmare. Oh, man. <laughs> Custodies are either killing an entire hive fleet or dying to a regular guy, you know? It's... Depending on what the story needs it to be. The whole thing, no connective, there's 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 thin connective tissue of what we accept as, well, this is the core canon it goes through. And even then, that's open to disagreement and questions which is and why people love it is you can debate and question and one of my favorite things that warhammer has already illustrated is that you can change pretty fundamental things about the setting and then they'll just say well this is how it was all along don't worry about what we say and one of the best examples was something me and wretched actually had a conversation about uh like last last year or the year before with a necron necron quote-unquote recently were made so that they have this whole Egyptian dynasty thing where all the Necron fall under these different dynasties where they're basically uh, perfectly sentient. They might even do trade with the Imperium in some cases. But before, I think like 7th edition, they were basically just soulless Terminators who might stand perfectly still waiting for the moment in time when some sentient being goes by, they could steal the soul. But never like talk, they're like just monsters in the dark with no real mind to them and then yeah they were metal boogeymen yeah and then that changed and now in the lore no they always had dynasties this is how it's always been so 
Yeah, and before all that, they were chaos androids. Exactly. So you can yep. do those kind of things where, like, you can have major shakeups and just be like, well, that's just how it is now. So yeah. the, the, the characters heavy example... Characters get invented that way. Characters just appear, and they're like, no, they've, they've always been there. You yeah. just didn't see them. The, the heavy example Ulrich basically mentioned earlier, which we won't go too deep into because we did a whole other episode about it, is if tomorrow Games Workshop decided female space marines were going to be an official thing they don't actually have they could they could create an in-universe explanium situation where oh fabius bile and belisarius call figured it out or they could hand wavium be like no they've always been female space marines just they weren't in those other stories but they've always been there <laughs> and they would be just yeah. fine honestly i mean you'd get a lot of fans pissed off but i'm saying that from a real like, game perspective it'd be fine no, it's it's exactly that. And ironically, the Templin Institute YouTube channel did this idea on the sanctity of the Warhammer timeline and canon and basically came like, guys, this is all an incoherent mess. Changing any detail in the grand scheme doesn't really matter because the whole thing is an incoherent mess. I would argue that, again, like Doctor Who, the best way to do it is that there are certain things that might be fixed, but very few. Like, very fixed points. Like, okay, the Emperor exists, and the Great Crusade happened, and Horus betrayed the Emperor. What that means and how it goes down, you can change all those details. But the Horus heresy has to happen. Do you want to get to a details thing? A Ferris Manus has to die. Like, I think they really much can't change that, because that serves some very important, like, things are centered around this kind of thing. But... The number of what I would call fixed points in the Warhammer timeline are fundamentally small. There, there are not that many of them, really. Yeah, and they can be changed. But it's weird to see, because again, there's that big one, but I even see it cropping up sometimes when people going, well, why is it in this book this character did this, but in this next book the character did that? And it's from two different authors. What's going on yeah. here? It's just like, what are you doing? Well, and most of the time, most of those stories are written from someone like we were previously talking about, uh, telling a story, which isn't always completely accurate. It's like if you look at some of even like the Guardsman book, it's written from the perspective of Guardsman or like the Tyranid book. Like, hey, this thing does this. And we only know because this Guardsman said it does, but it could do whatever it wants. Like, we don't know that lictors don't just walk through walls, right? And if it's, it, it, does it really affect the story that much? No. Why are you getting upset? Because it goes against your own sacred canon you have in your head. And the whole point I made with this and the whole discussion we've having is if your attachment to this is the fixed canon is actively affecting your enjoyment of the story outside of affecting the narrative, the quality of the narrative, it's become a problem. Here, here's well one thing I will say. I don't think that it is inherently a problem, unless it becomes say it's inherently. unless it becomes because here's the when I was having that conversation about Harley Quinn. If we take it back there, I basically concluded by saying, I'm not saying that this comic is bad because it doesn't isn't consistent with how I envision the character of Harley Quinn. What I'm saying is I don't personally care for that, and so I don't have to read it. I'm not going to bitch about it. I'm not going to tell the author. I'm not going to send the author death threats or anything, which is where oh, it really yeah. becomes it, a problem. It becomes, yeah, it becomes one of those things where uh, you need to look at it as it, just because sometimes things just aren't for you. 
And people need to realize that. Oh, like, the literary community needs to realize that really, really hard. Like, if if uh, that change is really dictating so much of your life that you need to go and take someone else's enjoyment away, I feel like you need to really like take a second and take a step back and kind of look at the perspective of it. Yeah, because it's crazy to me when people are going and attacking like authors or people playing characters because they don't like a character. Like Breaking Bad, for example. Like when people were attacking, um, what was Walter's wife's name? Skylar. Uh, Skylar. Yeah. yeah, they were attacking the actress for the way that the character was written. Like, it's not oh, her fault. <laughs> yeah, but my, what are yeah. you doing? <laughs> but my point of bringing this up is that really the way that, the quote-unquote healthy way to deal with having an actual emotional connection to something like canon is, okay, this particular piece of material doesn't agree with the canon or the continuity as I understand it. Therefore, I'm not going to engage with it. There. It's fucking as simple as that. <laughs> oh, well, calm down yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to read this book. I'm not going to watch this movie. I'm not going to, you know, play this game. Whatever. You're There's billions, trillions of entertainment things to do. You don't need to spend your time in the negative zone of obsessing over why some particular book broke your particular idea of what a character's continuity or canon is. Or just obsessing over this minor inconsistency and letting it either ruin entire shows or rewriting a movie to address that weird in, that weird continuity. Solo is, I think the epitome of we have to make this fit the established canon because nerds wanted to and then nerds went well this sucks what'd you do this for <laughs> yeah and so war, war, like it's funny because warhammer being a game being nine now almost 10 editions and every edition just modifying things to to, to like to the point where the way things are now bears very little resemblance to the way things are. Okay, example. One of my armies is the Sisters of Battle, right? Sisters of Battle are, right now, in 9th edition, they are the militant arm of the Inquisition Ordo Hereticus. They hunt down heretics and psychers, and they sometimes fight Xenos, but usually only if they're, like, defending shrine worlds or something. They're mostly concerned with hunting down heretics. Back in, like third edition or whatever when they first showed up in the codexes they were described as the uh hunters of rogue space marines that was their job their entire thing was they hunted down bad space marine people there is none of that in their lore now and that's okay <laughs> one of my favorite go-to's when people say nope we, we can't change these core tenants these things are big important ones i go at one point the Carcharodons, a chapter of Space Marine, their gene seed turned their bones to cartilage. Like sharks? Like sharks. Like sharks. No, that's dumb. I'm not going to accept that. That, that No, that's I, just, that's wrong. Grey Knights, what if we kill these sisters? Oh, and God. We their Cornate Knights, no. <laughs> and that'll stop the demons, guys. Listen, you know what? You that's a good one. That is a good example, that. too, because even in Games Workshop, was like, okay, th we let this author go too far. We're going to retroactively make it so that it didn't happen. So, <laughs> Yeah, but again, knowing that thing as out there and in someone's canon doesn't affect what I think. And I'm you don't see Games Workshop issuing a traction like, 
actually, no, the Carcharodons do not turn to cartilage. That was just something dumb. They're just like, listen, we've got so many books. Who cares? Although you do know that in the case of something like Coordinate Nights, it's got to be pretty fucking bad and pretty fucking widely hated for Games Workshop to directly be like, okay, no, this didn't happen. Does well, there's it? a couple, and usually those are like the examples of, I oh, know, this is just bad for the brand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I've given my concluding thoughts a couple times over. I'll let you guys have yours now. Uh, my concluding thoughts are that continuity and canon are can be fun. They can be useful when describing, when having, you know, nerd conversations, especially those kind of ones we can have a lot of good fun with, like who beats who in a fight or whatever like that. Like, it can be a useful tool, but any tool can be harmful to you when you use it for the wrong thing. And if canon and continuity are causing you to be angry more often than they're causing you to be happy, then... I feel like you're using the tool wrong. So I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's entertainment. And if you're not being entertained by it and it's causing you distress, don't do it. Any other concluding thoughts, Wretched? <laughs> oh, that's it. Sorry. You you pretty much covered all my bases. You, you took my took my script away. Oh, sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can get very chatty. You know this. <laughs> how, dare you, how dare you share an opinion with me? I can't believe this. Well, anyway, before we move on to our suggestions of the week, it's at this point we'd like to thank you, Wretched, for joining us for this roundtable discussion. Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm sorry I wasn't more talkative this this time, guys. There's just a lot of uh, a lot of bits there that I, I I feel like still, if again, if you're not having an enjoyment in this, you shouldn't like you you cannot like something, but you not liking something doesn't mean that someone else doesn't. So like, don't push that on them. Don't take their enjoyment away because you're having a rough time. Like, not everybody has to suffer. Not everyone has to suffer. But it's at this point that we give you the special soapbox that we roll out for all our guests, where you can get on it, if you want, and plug anything you want to plug. Lately, I'm going to just keep plugging Deep Rock Galactic. I, a lot of people have heard about this, but they should hear about it more. Great game. Give it a shot. You like dwarves. You like hanging out with your friends. It's fantastic. Well, that actually will then bring us, because that's what you have listed for your suggestion of the week, so why don't you use this time then to both plug and also tell any listeners what Deep Rock Galactic is. So Deep Rock Galactic is a um, four-person co-op game where you send four, four very, very, very unlucky dwarves into a uh, an alien rock to mine for minerals. It can lead to some really funny things, like completely trolling the scout every time. All right. If you're playing the digger, your job is to is to just satchel charge the scout every time he tries to get away with the grappling hook. All right. <laughs> Don't tell anybody I said this, but like, you know, that's your job. That's your whole job. They're gonna ask you to dig tunnels so that you can get to the mineral. Bait them. Bait them into the tunnel. They know what they did. And if you're listening and are a Warhammer fan, I have been told by Wretched before this recording that the whole game has a real Leagues of Votan vibe. For sure. I was just thinking I need to play more Deep Rock Galactic because it's a ton of fun. And then you're telling me that it's like, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't. And then a voice, the third voice said, Rock and Stone. I'm like, okay, I know what I'm doing tonight. You got a Rock and Stone, bro. <laughs> also, yeah, if anyone salutes you, you got you to gotta Rock and Stone back. Don't be rude. Yeah. All right, Ulrich, your suggestion of the week? My suggestion is a movie 
that I really wasn't sure what I was going to think of. And then I watched it and then I loved it. And that's uh, the menu. Go on. So, <laughs> sorry, I know I sound I sound dismissive because I I know the entire plot of the menu. I have not seen it, and I do not have positive thoughts about what I know about it. But since I have not seen it, I'll keep it to myself and let you just go. The menu basically, I'll give you the pitch and then I'll talk about it. Is Anya Taylor Joy is going to this fancy restaurant with her boyfriend. And it is the epitome of annoying food trends in every food has a story and it's an experience and you enjoy it. And it's just full of the most pretentious, worst people imaginable. And then it turns out that the chef and all the cooks are going to murder these annoying, pretentious people. But wait, there's more. And it's one of those movies that while I enjoy it, it thinks it's smarter than it is. Okay. But... What I love about it is it's my favorite type of satire in that it is practically screaming its message at you and you're laughing because it's like, no, this is a joke and I'm making this very clear what my stance is and it's all very well done. The only real problem, and I like this movie, it's got like, the ending doesn't quite come together. It almost gets there, but it doesn't. But it is still a fun black comedy satire that maybe took itself a little bit too seriously, but it, it's fun. And my suggestion of the week is more than anything an illustration of how long it's been since we'd done suggestions of the week because I've literally been trying to find a way to shoehorn this suggestion in for like three months, but we've been doing stuff that does not involve suggestions of the week. So, so back in December, before the end of the year, I saw a movie called RRR, which was on my, which ended up being a, we recorded our top 10 movies of the year before I saw this. And now that I've seen it, it would have been number two on my list. So I don't know what to tell you, but it came out actually like early last year, but it's a foreign film. It's a uh, Tollywood, which is a uh, Telugu. It, it's a subsection of India, not the same thing as Bollywood. And it is a, it's like the first movie out of India to break like all these like world records or something like that or get a lot of play in the West anyway because the West has this very specific idea of what Indian movies are. I'm talking a lot around it because talking about the actual movie is really difficult because it's so big. It's like a three-hour epic that is a bunch of different kind of movies like tonally and structurally like mashed together but it works really well. Here's what I'll tell you. The opening three sequences... Sequence one, we're in British-occupied India. Some rich, snobby British governor people really like how this young Indian village girl sings, so they take her from the village and, like, kill her mom when she tries to stop them. Sets up our, our initial conflict. Sequence two, we've got, like, thousands of uh, Indian, like, protesters trying to take down this, like, prison outpost, and this one guy's like, all right, go arrest that man who just threw a brick at me. And all the guards are like, no, except one guard played by, uh, whose name is Rama, who proceeds to fight, like, all of them just to get this guy and drag him back. And it's one of the coolest action sequences I've ever seen. It's immediately followed by another baddest action sequence where a different character basically fights a tiger. And it's fucking awesome. And <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. RR is amazing. It's a lot of commitment because it's three hours, but... It, if you can find it in the original te uh, Telugu language, I think that's better, but it is at least in Hindi 
on on Netflix when I watched it. Highly worthwhile, like a real experience of a movie. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Be sure to share this far and wide because it is important to the Geeks with Shields continuity. And if you don't share it, then the continuity doesn't mean anything. And we'll have to steal Deadpool's continuity stone, which you can find out about if you listen to us on whatever platform you're currently listening to us on or any other platform. Well, not any other. We're on a bunch of them. Like, you can rate us on Spotify. We're also on the Fireside Alliance, but, you know, podcasts, iHeartRadio, whatever. But if there's a platform that you want us on and we're not there, we're probably not there because of a financial reason, but still, tell us about it and it will incentivize us to uh, give another look or give it a first look, whatever. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.